Well, I mean, yeah. okay, as a gerontology student, I say yeah. that it's like upsides and downsides to aging because one thing is you're right, you know, with regards to yeah. fluid uh, intelligence that goes down, but then there's the other thing of crystallized intelligence. Yeah. Crystallized intelligence goes up. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So there's that good trade-off. Or there are certain areas where older workers are actually a lot better than younger workers. So, you know, yeah. you shouldn't be too worried there about growing old. You know, I, I, you know, you might be going, I don't know if in 10 years you might be out on Orchard Road screaming at somebody for wearing a crop top. I don't know. but <laughs> At least I'm not wielding a samurai sword and cutting people up. You're listening to the Building Financial Fitness Podcast, the show where personal finance is about the person, not just the numbers. Here on BFF, we talk about how to make money your best friend so that you can have the freedom to make the most out of life. We go through the honest discussions about money so that you don't need to make the same mistakes. We demystify jargon so that no one can smoke you with complicated acronyms. After all, money's greatest value is to give us control over our time, which is truly our greatest asset. I'm your host, Junus Yu. Hi guys and welcome back to the Building Financial Fitness Podcast. Today is a very special day because we have two very exciting people here back on the show. We have our very well-loved FA hater, Chris. Hi everybody. Hi Chris. Hi. And we have the very famous FA himself, Mr. Luke Ho. Hi Luke. Hi. So today we're going to be talking about CPF in 2022, right. especially given mm. the changes that we've seen. And we've seen that the impression of CPF by our Singapore citizens has actually taken quite a large turn. You know, from the days when there was a lot of reticence towards CPF and people were saying that it's an oppressive way of um, forcing savings until today when CPF top-ups actually hit a new annual record in 2021 of over $4 billion. And it's gotten so popular that even, you know, as of 11 March, there was this widely forwarded WhatsApp message that I saw that my, you know, my mom sent to me, a lot of other aunties sent to me where they literally, they took a picture of a CPF letter and then they said that this was a scam. <laughs> <laughs> Which later became, yeah. you know, CPF yeah. themselves said that this is actually a legitimate letter. Right. That, you know, clearly you can see that there's a lot of hype about CPF. To the extent that something is real actually becomes a scam, you know, it kind of goes the other way. So I think it's very interesting times. Let's outline the key changes for CPF in 2022. And just feel free to jump in with regards to your response to those changes. Okay. So hmm. the first one is the CPF contribution rate. It's to increase by up to 2% for those between 55 to 70. This was actually a topic that was quite widely discussed for me as a gerontology student because it's really in the line of supporting the older worker and also incentivizing them to work, you know, into the older years. Any thoughts on this? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is that uh, I hope not to be working by then. <laughs> in a way, you're kind of like, you've already fired already. Yeah, but... But you're still working, but yeah, not so, really for... So that's that's what Luke and me were discussing outside the studio. <laughs> He's asking me why I'm working right now. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I told him that the state of financial independence, it's not a permanent state. Mm. Uh, different changes in your life can cause you to lose your financial independence. Like, for mm. example, if I were to develop some kind of cancer, mm. you know, I fall ill and all that. Mm. I, I would lose that state, to right? Spend and, a lot on a game. Yeah, yeah like, but there are also good reasons why you lose your financial independence. If one of my kids get into medical school, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I would be spending more than what my dividends can provide for me in a particular year. And if you can predict your future and say that, 
there is a probability of you losing that financial independence, then why not just carry on and work while you have some bargaining power and your business is still running, right? Mm -hmm. Because there will come a point of time where you start losing your fluid intelligence Mm. And, mm. and you notice old people start to lose their filter, right? So so when they go out, they start saying stuff like, you know, hey, why why you dress like that? Yeah, and and I, I could see that happening to me. I'm becoming grouchier by the day. Oh, so yeah, so so I still have some bargaining power, right? Car- mm. Carry on and work. Mm. Well, I mean, yeah. okay, as a gerontology student, I say yeah. that it's like upsides and downsides to aging because one thing is you're right, you know, with regards to yeah. fluid uh, intelligence that goes down, but then there's the other thing of crystallized, crystallized intelligence. Yeah. Crystallized intelligence goes up. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So that's that good trade-off. Or they certain areas where older workers are actually a lot better than younger workers. So, you know, yeah. you shouldn't be too worried there about growing old. You know, I, I, you know, you might be going, I don't know if in 10 years you might be out on Orchard Road screaming at somebody for wearing a crop top. I don't know. But <laughs> At least I'm not wielding a samurai sword and cutting people up. I mean... That was yeah. under influence of substances, yeah, actually. Some substances. He was a lot younger than you. Second, the second point is a higher tax relief of up to $8,000 okay. a year for cash top-ups. And right. this is, again, to incentivize more cash top-ups. Okay. When you actually come up with a policy like this, mm. where you allow CPF contributions to uh, produce more tax benefits, inevitably, it will benefit the rich, mm. right? There comes to a particular point in your salary I think around 80000 a year, where your income tax, marginal tax value goes up to 11.5%, where it becomes very, very uh, worthwhile to put in that $8,000. Mm. Yeah, mm. but I think by and large, it doesn't really move the needle for, for most Singaporeans because I think most Singaporeans don't pay an income tax right now. I think if I'm not wrong, right? I mean, um, I guess based on the median, probably they wouldn't pay very much in income tax. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because mm. I mean, if the median is like less than 50k a year, for example, per person, then uh, once you knock off all that, it's definitely under the 11.5 that you mentioned. Mm. And most people are not going to toss in like $8,000 out of that, that median income. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're right. It'll probably benefit uh, richer people more. Yeah. Uh, That's right. And the third change is for the top-ups to Medisave, all tax reliefs goes to the giver and there's only one top-up limit which is the basic healthcare sum. I think that's really logical. When, when I heard about it, I wasn't even aware of that. And like, I thought, what, what took them so long, right? <laughs> yeah, it should be the person who's giving that should be getting the tax break, right? Not the person who's getting. <laughs> yeah. So that one, not much of a yeah. thing. Mm. And the uh, last one is members who are not on CPF Live who continue to receive their payouts. But then I think, you know, as of what the policy says, I think everyone who's born after 1958 and have at least 60,000 in their CPF are automatically enrolled into CPF Live, right? Okay. Yeah, mm. not wrong. So the main crux, right, is whether or not one constantly contributes to fund the CPF life, which is basically, if you look at it, it's basically an annuity scheme that pays you monthly for as long as you live. Right. Mm. Right. And based on your situation, which one have you chosen? The standard, escalating or basic? Yeah, I mean, I, I personally just uh, am much more interested in the standard because mostly I, I do spend a lot of time trying to create a lot of uh, other long-term income sources in the future. So mm-hmm. basically, I am not that interested in escalating because I don't think that my costs will 
increase a lot over time. I think mm. a lot of people will assume that, okay, naturally, if you get older, your cost should increase a lot over time. But especially as you approach like around your 80s or so, most of your increased costs are health-related, food-related, mm. while comparatively, things that you would have done in like maybe your 50s, 60s or earlier, like traveling, a lot of that drops down quite a bit. So I am not very like, keen on the idea of having escalating structure. I'd rather get some a bit more of my money up front. I guess that's about it. Like. I don't I don't really see the need for uh, an escalating structure at the very least. I mm-hmm. think standard is pretty much okay with me at this particular point. Although uh, I think that CPF has a very long history of adjusting like on and off. Like like basically like it's gone up, it's gone down. Sometimes they'll make you increase it by this much or that much across the last since it's existed, right? So uh, my answer is like this now, but I think that it will really potentially adjust in the future depending on how CPF changes. Mm. So I'm curious, right, because you mentioned that, you know, statistically a lot of Singaporeans spend the last decade of their life maybe in poorer health and usually that entails higher medical costs. And Mm. with that in mind, why wouldn't you want... um, I think it partly because it evens out means that basically uh, your increasing health costs will be usually met by your declining costs of pretty much doing everything else that you, you wouldn't normally be doing. Mm. Uh, that's one. Number two is that mostly it's because we have a very good insurance structure. And uh, I mean, if, if you top it off, if you're talking about government schemes like CPF, you also kind of uh, forcibly added cashier life to everybody. Mm-hmm. right? And so obviously that accounts for it to some degree. Um, so naturally, if you have a really good shield plan, a couple of good insurance plans in place, then you probably wouldn't really need so much excess money. It would be quite hard. I, I personally find it quite hard to justify, even though I haven't run the numbers myself. Yeah, right. but I'd be very surprised. Additionally, if you have investment experience, uh, if you get some more of your money up front, then if you really have some excess, you could just kind of invest it and perhaps roll it a little bit more effectively. Mm. Yeah. And Chris, what do you think? Okay, um, I agree with Luke. An elderly person from the age of 55 to 65, as you go through the 10 years, there's normally a 30% reduction in your expenses every month. Uh, The reduction comes from transport and work-related expenses Mm -hmm. as you uh, move into Mm. retirement. Mm -hmm. The three components that do increase is the amount of groceries that you pay uh, when you cook food at home. The amount of home improvements that you make, for example, Mm. carpet maintenance, aircon servicing, uh, these home utility expenses have a tendency to go up. The component that is the hardest to predict is your medical expenses, which uh, I think on average it goes up by 50% because Mm. of high blood pressure, high cholesterol. Mm. So in that sense, I think uh, whatever looks come up with is is a fairly logical way of positioning his CPF life. Uh, Mm. However, where I sort of disagree, look, and it's not a very strong disagreement, mm. is that if you were to take the CPF life estimator and you key in 1957, right, assuming that you're currently 65 years old, mm. and you take the escalating plan, what the computer will do is that you spit out a number, a magic number at the age of 65. Right now, you'll be getting $850 a month. Yeah. Right. Now, if you follow the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy uh, in 2021, a 65-year-old requires $1,768. Yeah. So there is a massive shortfall. Yes. Right? Hmm. Now, 1,600, is it? I had 1,421. 1,768. 1,768 for a 65 single... 65-year-old. Single 65-year-old. Okay. Oh. Yeah, mm. single 65-year-old. Mm. Which means that by the time you hit 65... There will be a built-in shortfall for every single Singaporean right up there because I think the CPF doesn't see itself as a board that is obligated to give you your basic standard of living. They're there to give you something like minimal sustenance, mm-hmm. right? Which is why you, you, you see a little bit of disagreement between policymakers 
uh, against the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy. You, you see that simmering in the background, mm. right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So how do you meet that shortfall? So Luke's got a good plan. He says, I use the standard plan to meet the shortfall, which pays the highest, right? So 850 for escalating plan, but the remaining 700 is a big question mark for a lot of people. Mm. And how are you mm. able to do that, right? One way is to switch to the escalating plan that would deal with inflation for 2%. You get less, but you can match inflation because you might live very long. The other way is to delay your payments until 70 years old. But when you do that, there's still a shortfall. I've tested it. I've even simulated it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... And how much does that shortfall change? Uh, I think it becomes from 850 if you delay it to 70 years old. I think it is 1,150. I, I think so. But I think it's best to go to the CPF life estimator mm. and you just look at what the website tells you, right? You can spend like uh, 20 to 30 minutes on, on the life estimator. You learn a lot about what actually happens when you retire, right? You can predict what happens in the future, mm. right? So maybe the discussion isn't which plan is best. The discussion is whether are you going to go full throttle and put your money and go beyond the full retirement sum. Yes. That is something which a lot of Singaporeans are unable to do because you have to delay a lot of gratification. Mm-hmm. And you have to work until you're really old to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Even I struggle to get my ERS because I'm no longer allowed to transfer from my OA to my SA to reach that amount. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's something which I hope to tell the people listening in that Actually, even if you're hearing about people putting money into CPF because of the pandemic, because they're not traveling, they're using their money that's supposed to go to Chan Brothers and they're transferring into CPF. Mm. It's not going to be enough. Okay? It's not going to be enough. And you really need to have a plan to get ERS. And it can be very depressing if you are young to be able to hear this coming from me. But mm. uh, that, that is a fact of life. Yeah. And uh, I, I challenge any financial advisor. <laughs> you, you, you see whether what I say is correct. Mm. It's, it's something that we really need to think about. Now, on the upside about putting your money into CPF life is that if you are able to get a guaranteed cash flow at the age of 65, you are able to take a lot more risk with the rest of your portfolio. The reason is because you've already guaranteed a particular standard of living mm-hmm from a particular age, right? Mm. Now, if you're able to do that, uh, Nobel laureates um, in economics, right, uh, from American universities, Paul Samuelson, he recommends that you can take a lot of equity risk once you set up your CPF life, which means that you can get a high beta uh, equity portfolio. And I think that's really how you really need to think about how all these high-risk equity tech companies, cryptocurrency, they fit into your grand scheme, right? And the foundation is... In fact, CPF life. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and which, I think that yeah. is the approach that, you know, for example, like Lu Ching Tuan has taken, yeah, right? Whereas right. basically, you settle the CPF bit yeah. and then the rest of your portfolio, you are able to take a lot more risk because you always have that to fall back on. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I can't really say I, I agree with that in, okay. in my personal life in particular because because on one hand, that makes a lot of a logical sense, right? But then on the other hand, uh, realistically, compound interest works when you start earlier. Mm-hmm. And so naturally, when you take more risk with the money that you have um, while you're young, however limited, it can compound a crap load more while there's opportunity cost if you dump it into safer instruments in the first couple of years and so it doesn't have as much time to compound. So 
yes, you would be able to safely invest in equities later, but then the returns or the effects of that would be, I would say, quite diminished. Mm. Yeah, although, of course, the flip side or the downside to that is obviously the fact that you wouldn't have solidified your foundation uh, in CPF very early, if not for some people who may not plan this well at all. Yeah. You know, and so that's obviously uh, something that people have to consider to see if they're really willing to take. But personally, at this stage of my life, I'd say that. You know, honestly, I, I would still do the equity portions first and then anything that I can dump in CPF, I, I would, which is, which is what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because at the end of the day, the main crux is whether or not people are willing to give up that kind of, you know, if they're putting their money into just stashing it away <laughs> in CPF, right? They're basically losing, let's say, the liquidity and also opportunity cost of their money and what it could have been if you're, you know, investing it somewhere else. Mm. But remember that if you're putting your money into CPF, for those who have high income, you're also getting tax breaks at the same time. Yes, yes. And that brings in a certain amount uh, that is guaranteed. Mm. And if you're looking for an instrument that gives you a 4% return without standard deviation, because there is no mm. deviation, CPF special account is, is basically unique, right, mm. in Singapore. That's true. Yep. Yeah, you just have to be extremely careful about inflation, right? Because that's probably about the next point of disagreement between me and Luke. People can't agree on what the average uh, inflation is right now because we are in a regime change. Now, in the past, if you ask me, I'll tell my students, well, it's 2%. It goes above 2%, it'll come back to 2%. Mm -hmm. Goes below 2%, it'll go up to 2%. So plug in 2%. But we, yeah, but we have a war in the Ukraine, right? So there's a lot of uncertainty. And, and this is compounded on top of COVID, right? Mm. So which means that anytime over the next six months, there might be a new geopolitical event. And <laughs> yes. you're going to have three... Uh, really deadly events like impinging on the world economy right now. So I, I think there's justifiably some concern. But over the next few months, um, your CPF special account is going to lose money from a real adjusted basis because yeah. Mm, yeah. it produces 4%. Yeah, I mean, so so for the most part, like high inflation has as account about like during like, for example, even like cold war periods like in the 1970s and of course when Singapore is developing as a nation. So when I looked at the inflation over time, even though yes, there were like spikes that sometimes made it a little disproportionate, but like I, I think the government has like a really good track record of keeping inflation down uh, in the long term. As a result, I do expect that it would, eventually average out to hopefully all the way back down to 2.6 eventually <laughs> less than that I mean like still around 2 la, I'd say like I, eventually I hope it'll come down to do that too uh, which will really be something because that's very uh, like idealistic like it's really like a, a gold standard for inflation uh, internationally and I, I'll be really impressed and happy if Singapore's the one to pull it off which I think they've been working towards for a very long time mm -hmm. especially if you look at the last uh, 10 plus years in particular it was quite a bit below two on average uh, so they're really working on bringing down that average and I think that they can do it uh, yeah mm. <laughs> well mm. I, I'm willing to accept that if the war ends and we recover from COVID mm. it will be a number lower than two I'm willing to accept that because that was yep. what we've experienced yes but I think currently the regime is such that that is not the case right now mm. And I'd just like to uh, raise a caution to the listener that if you're looking at any short-term endowments, check the interest rate. If the interest rate is below 2%, you might want to think twice because it's already short-term. Mm. And short-term, mm. we might still remain in this regime. Mm. Yeah. At least for the months of Feb, March, Q1, yeah, Q2. Yeah, yeah, Q1, Q2. I think it will stretch beyond that. Mm. So also no fixed deposits either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fixed deposits <laughs> are right. worse. Fixed deposits are worse. Yeah, fixed deposits are way worse. Yeah.
next one, I want to talk about the sustainability of CPF life. We kind of like wear the okay. hat of the, the government, right? Basically, is you know, it, they need to ensure that the CPF life members never encounter a situation where they actually outlive their savings. Right. So how sustainable do you think CPF life is? Is it, it going to be like a burden in the future where the government is like, hey, these people are actually living really long and we need to pay them out for life? I mean, I think credit to the government or whoever's doing the math behind CPF, mm. uh, they do like kind of adjust accordingly or they, they seem to have been doing quite a good job adjusting accordingly in the last couple of years. Although that being said, that's also one of my criticisms of CPF life as a whole because it does keep changing mm. uh, compared to like, for example, private investment plans of some kind. But for the most part, I do think that the the problem with that or what I see is that I, I don't think I'll be experiencing, I mean, at the rate that we're going, I, I would be quite surprised if, for example, my parents were to experience any kinds of problems in relation to the sustainability of CPF. Mm. Uh, but maybe my generation and especially the generation after me might experience some problems. I don't think that we've had a lot of history of generations where we had a much larger aging population and a lot less children, for example. Certainly, yeah. yes. And so uh, to be able to effectively calculate the math on this uh, in the future, I think would be extremely challenging. And the reason why this happens is because they really don't have a gauge or way to estimate exactly how far that variance could be uh, because they don't really have like a previous model to do that with. And mm -hmm. so that as a result, uh, it could end up in a situation where in a couple of decades, uh, that it could really be a serious problem. Uh, I wouldn't think it's an issue for this current generation, especially not for my parents' generation, but I'll certainly be a little concerned as I start to approach uh, my 60s. Now, there are three reasons why we do not have anything to fear about CPF. The first mm. reason is uncontroversial, and mm. it's because CPF has mortality tables, and they build in a lot of slack when they are designing the risk pooling yep. mechanism, right? Mm. That's something which I expect the government to be really good at. Okay. The two other reasons are extremely controversial. Mm -hmm. right? There are things that the government can do and that the insurance industry cannot. Mm. The government can take a leaf from European countries and they can ration healthcare at an old age. In other words, beyond a particular age, you will not get the same kind of healthcare as your, your younger. All right? mm. So we can actually make adjustments over there to do some rationing of healthcare services. Now, this is very, very controversial. Yeah, because what so, would that look like? Uh, yeah, what would that look like? But they don't have to tell you if they actually <laughs> do it, right? Okay. Yeah, okay. So that's that's one. And, and actually, you're seeing a little bit of it. I'm not going to talk about the actual policy because it might offend some people, but <laughs> but you follow the news very closely, there's been some changes, all right? There's been some very interesting changes in the way the ministry budgets the amount of money um, for a particular patient who gets admitted to hospital, right? The third reason, which is extremely controversial, is that if I make a mistake in designing my mortality tables, a responsible government would then implement a law on euthanasia. <laughs> Right? Whoa. Yeah. Because the truth of the matter is, how much of my life beyond my 70s is really worth living? Because I've, I've been through that process with my dad. I lost my dad three years ago. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm a minority among Singaporeans. I really do want that law to be passed, not for my mom, but for me, mm. so that I won't be a burden to my children in the future. Right? And I think increasingly, as the population becomes more uh, educated and they're living longer, yeah. The pressure to enact some kind of euthanasia statute in Singapore might increase over time. And these are the three things that I think would make it such that CPF life will always be sustainable. 
Well, and, I hear uh, you on one and two. On three, yeah. on, on, you know, euthanasia being enacted in Singapore, I'm not quite sure if that will happen. I mean, it's in, very interesting though. No, because uh, as people get older, mm. they might actually want it. It is yeah. very true. So, I mean, yeah. we do discuss it at length um, right. on this topic because we are certainly looking at longer lifespans. We are certainly seeing um, shorter health spans or more exactly. more years spent with yeah. disease burden. But the government is, or at least, you know, that, that push is for longer health spans as well and more engagement into one's older years. The thing is that there might be some limit, right, to, to how far your health span could go. Yes. Mm. And for me, what's depressing is you, you might end up with a class of medication that would just lengthen your lifespan without mm. lengthening your health span. Mm. Yeah. And to have a well-functioning government machine, trade-offs need to be made. And we just have to live with it. And and so I'm I'm not particularly like um disgusted by the idea of euthanasia law. I'm not particularly disgusted by the idea of healthcare rationing because younger people get more healthcare resources so that they can continue to support the economy. And 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 you know in, in this realm where there's scarcity, no matter where you go, these are the trade-offs that you have to make. Yeah mm. uh, just be glad that I'm not the one making it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I actually didn't yeah. consider uh like euthanasia in this country. So so it was, it was a very interesting perspective which I didn't consider at all. But in hindsight, if you're asking like for example whether people at our age or my, my age or whatever think about this particular topic, uh, actually the answer is yes. Because uh, I've seen quite a lot of clients on the ground who, let's say, like if they lost their parents quite early in their mid fifties and sixties, they also start to talk to me when they get married about like, okay, like I don't need this particular insurance. Or I'm not gonna plan to do this thing. If this thing happens, we're gonna plan to do this thing instead. Uh, because I really just kind of need to find a way to off myself. Uh, one of the very prominent experiences I had, which is honestly that kind of thing I'll never forget. Uh, I was talking to a woman in her fifties. Mm. Uh, she had two children, which were just like turned adults, like just finished college. Kind of thing, and she absolutely refused to get insurance uh, with me, like critical illness insurance in particular. She had life insurance already, and she was saying, "Okay, you know, like I have a very detailed plan." And she proceeded to tell me that detailed plan where she had structured a bunch of things, like like people knew like where her will was and and uh, what exactly what instructions there were inside that will, mm-hmm. um, for her to get flown to uh to Switzerland in the event that she had some kind of stroke or something that incapacitated her beyond a good healthy state. Right. Like not even like like let's say you didn't she didn't even have to be like crippled crippled she just had to be not like he- great healthy functional and then just to go like off her. Mm. Yeah. And then she was like and I I, I was I was really amazed that she did that. And she told me about this in detail and how long she had been thinking about it and she told me about her mom who had gone through it and I do think that uh, in hindsight after Chris mentioned euthanasia that it is, it's a little horrifying actually like I, I didn't think about it at all but I would not be that surprised if it was really something that actually came to pass in the future especially because my generation seems to be uh, quite exceptionally aware of it already at my age or even younger actually mm-hmm. yeah yeah. So I have to round up because like, um, so Chris, like you mentioned that you were looking a lot deeper into crypto, right? So tell That's us right. about your latest endeavor. All right. So I've developed a course, uh, Cryptocurrency for Conservative Investors. It is a very, very conservative take on cryptocurrency for people with an existing equity and REITs kind of portfolio like me. Uh, you want to take your first step into cryptocurrency. How do you do that? Mm. Right, yeah. So it combines uh, some of my coding knowledge. Uh, we are able to simulate um, the behavior of some cryptocurrency. Uh, 
and we're able to share that with uh, students and uh, they can check me out uh, on the Dr. Wealth website. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's that's all I got to say. What do they Google when they... when they What what should they Google? Is it still ERM? Uh, is ERM is my course on early retirement masterclass. I think uh, anyway, there is... Uh, you can always go to my my other course, which is the Early Retirement Masterclass. Just Google ERM intro, E-R-M-I-N-T-R-O, and just take the first link. Okay, cool. Yep. So you know where to find Chris. And yep. then if you want to find Luke, how do you find him? Oh, uh, I mean, I lately nowadays, I, I deal mostly with... Uh, clients on an invite-only or referral basis, but wow. uh, I would be very happy to if you just send me like an email, uh, quite informal, so at least like neither of us feel any pressure, like you don't feel like you have to do business with me, just send me an email if you feel you have questions about some of the stuff that we spoke about today or about my portfolio and perhaps what kind of service I provide if you like to know, and then mm-hmm. I'll definitely get back to you as quickly as possible. Yeah, because Luke takes a very considered approach when it comes to planning ahead. And for those guys who are interested in crypto, especially if you're a conservative investor, as Chris calls it, then you know where to find him. And thank you guys for being on again. It's so lovely to have the both of you in a room. Thank you. Thank you. To talk about CPF and so many other things. (laughs) It's fun. (laughs) So thank you guys for being on the show. And with that, we'll see you the next time. All right. See you. Bye. See you. Many thanks as well to all of you out there for tuning in. This has been a fantastic conversation and we would definitely love to hear what you think about it. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach out to us through the email podcasts at melisten.sg or at my Instagram at misfitfi. Aside from that, if you enjoy what you're listening to and want to hear more, please help to spread and grow the show by subscribing on MeListen or Apple Podcasts, or by following on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Finally, the Building Financial Fitness Podcast is an original production from MediaCorp and recorded at Skate Live Studios, The Pod, powered by Audio-Technica and City Music. Episode production is done by Junus Yu, with editing and support by Danny Cordy and Gareth Fernandez. Once again, I'm your host and BFF, Junus Yu. Until the next time.